0: to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And that's the premise of this whole program. Are you a caregiver? And if so, how do you feel? Do you feel healthy? Financially? Emotionally? Spiritually? Physically? If not, why not? And what can you do about it? and that's what this program is all about. Hopeforthecaregiver.com, hopeforthecaregiver.com. As we are now into this new year and it promises to be a very turbulent year for our nation and probably the world. We caregivers understand turbulence. And as we've had a lot of different winter weather across the country, this week I'm reminded of a chapter in my book and I wanted to reference the 12th chapter of my book, which is called A Path Through the Storm. Now we've all seen you know, how people get ready for impending storms. When storms loom, media outlets often show footage of people placing plywood on homes and businesses and hunkering down. And of course, with winter weather, you do all kinds of things as well. They've been having, uh, my wife grew up on the coast of uh, Northwest Florida. Down there in Fort Walton Beach, and she has family still lives down there. And anytime there's impending storms, you can bet they're out there getting ready for it, hunkering down and, and going to ride this thing out. They have to have emergency supplies and protect their windows. And you know, you know, you know the drill. Last month, severe tornadoes hit our former home of Nashville and in the surrounding areas. In fact, um, it hit about a mile where our son used to live. And it was pretty devastating. And you've, you've all seen footage of that. And so I wrote in this chapter about a path through the storm. And I referenced those things. Caregiving is its own storm. Although sometimes receiving advance notice, like hurricanes and so forth, caregiving can often descend like a tornado. And there's just not much warning. And it can last a lifetime. If cameras followed caregivers, many daily activities might resemble the frantic bustle of those boarding homes and businesses. Imagine trying to build a five-year plan while simultaneously work to survive a hurricane. Incredulously, many caregivers regularly attempt such a feat. Well, and I will stop there for a moment. I'm just reading from my book. It's called A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day Feels Like Monday and they're just one minute chapters. But as I do this program, I'm still in Denver with Gracie recovering from this surgery. And it was a very big surgery. And to my best count, it was her 86th. We've been over here for six weeks where she's been inpatient. Now, my question to you is, how do you have a five-year business plan with something like this? This is her fifth surgery in two years. And a half year less than two and a half years and her 86 in 40 years that again that I can count that doesn't count all the hospitalizations so how do you plan for that when you're constantly in damage control mode and I used to put this unreasonable pressure on myself to do just that to try to plan to try to we got to punch through this so we can get on with our life and then over the years and decades it dawned on me that this is our life And I have to take it in stride and just learn to walk through it and not look so far down the road. Those of you who are regular listeners will recall what what I call the fog of caregivers, fear, obligation, and guilt. It's a fog that we get disoriented in. Well, what's the first thing you do when you hit a fog bank, particularly at night? You slow down. And then what's the second thing you do? You turn your low beams on. You don't try to have your high beams on. We want to see further down the road, but we can't. It'll glare back at us. Well, it's no different for us as caregivers. We simply cannot see that far down the road, and we have to go with the light that we have, which is exactly what Scripture teaches. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't say that it's a searchlight. So we have to deal with today and the information that we have and make the best decisions In that light. But back to the path through the storm, chapter 12 of my book. The aftermath of hurricanes usually brings clearer skies that allow rebuilding, but the lengthy caregiving storm usually ends at a cemetery, and the path to rebuilding appears shrouded in confusion, despair, and even desolation. It is hard to rebuild and hunker down at the same time yet a path through and following the storm does exist it's called endurance the challenges of caregiving can forge a resilience and a resolve that spills into every area of life many faced with hardships lament how do i get out of this i mean look around you don't you hear that from so many people and that's why you have so many television ministries that promise that kind of stuff. Oh, you're going to get your breakthrough. It's just around the corner. God's going to lift you up and you know, you're going to get your breakthrough. They don't talk about endurance. They don't talk about fortification. They don't talk about perseverance. They don't talk about suffering much. And yet as caregivers, that's our journey. So instead of saying, how do I get out of this? We serve ourselves better by asking, what can I become through this? You remember last week, I talked about learning to ask better questions. It's when we ask better questions that we start seeing the path, the wisdom, the growth, the understanding. I I have maintained this for a long time. It's one thing to suffer, okay? And we're all going to go through stuff. It's one thing to suffer, but it's another thing to have to suffer and be stupid at the same time. And I did enough of that for both you and me. And I don't want to do that anymore. My desire is to learn through this and to grow through this and to become better than I was. Entire marketing ads promote tempting versions of success that sadly ring hollow as the years pass. But endurance remains its own success while standing the test of time. Now this principle is Beautifully written in Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 4 where Paul states knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope has become a diluted word in our culture we confuse that with wish well I hope it works out that's not biblical hope that's not real hope hope is that conviction that it is going to that conviction that every promise of God is true and we can count on it. I said this to Gracie in the hospital the other day. And I looked at her and she was, she was having a rough day. And I said, Gracie, you will walk and not grow weary. You will run and not grow faint. You will mount up with wings like eagles. I don't know when that will happen. And it doesn't appear that it's going to happen in this lifetime, but it will happen. And I'm taking him at his word on this. That's where our hope is. And that's what comes when we are willing to press into this and not strain and strive with something that we can't control. You do not fight a hurricane. You do not fight a tornado. But you build your life so that you can withstand when they come. And it has been my experience that you can build that kind of fortification even while caregiving i've learned to do that this is my experience that even in a hospital room back and forth to emergency rooms doing laundry cooking all the things that we do as caregivers and running a business and all the things that i do i've learned that i can build fortification in my spirit in the midst of whatever now this is what scripture teaches over and over and over again The question is, are we going to take God at his word? Do we believe this? And if we do, what are the implications? There is a path through the storm. There is endurance, and by God's grace and strength and provision, you and I can endure. And that is hope for the caregiver, not wish for the caregiver. No, it's hope for the caregiver which is the conviction that we as caregivers can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, a more joyful life. This is Peter Rosenberger, this is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com, we'll be right back.
1: The words you are about to hear are taken from letters sent in by members of the Trinity Debt Management Program.
2: Dear Trinity, today I'm making my final credit card payment.
3: Before I came to you, I was in a constant state of anxiety and panic, but now there is hope for my family's financial future. Working with Trinity made me understand that I'm not alone. You really do help people. Your kindness will never be forgotten.
2: Without Trinity support, I would not have achieved my lifelong goal of becoming debt-free.
3: We saved a lot on interest and penalties, of course, but the reward was the gift of human kindness. Trinity has carried me through a very difficult time in my life. You're amazing. I used to feel so anxious and hopeless. Now I feel grace and peace. God bless Trinity as you continue to help others become debt-free. If credit card debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. I was afraid, scared. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. Every day, scared young women who don't think they have options are choosing abortion because the majority of the women who go to those clinics are being pressured to abort. Preborn's network of clinics have rescued more than 280,000 babies. They seek these women out before they make the ultimate choice and introduce them to the life inside them through a free ultrasound. And we are the fuel that allows Preborn to do that. Once she hears that heartbeat and sees that precious life, the majority of the time she'll choose life. Abortion doesn't stop, so we can't stop. Would you join with Preborn and AFR and help rescue 4,500 babies' lives this week? One ultrasound session costs $28, and $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. Any gift will help. Please go to afr.net. afr.net or call 877-616-2396. 877-616-2396.
0: Back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. That is Gracie with Russ Taff from her CD Resilient. And uh, I love her singing that song, The Joy of the Lord. Hope for the Hope I want to turn your attention to a very unusual story in Scripture that a lot of people may not know. Gracie was struggling the other day, and I pulled out her Bible. And I read to her from this passage in 2 Samuel. Now, let me give you some background on this. King Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. And now David was anointed king. You, you know that. And he became king, but he wasn't king of the entire nation right off the bat. Saul had another son named Ishbosheth. I think I'm saying that right. And he was a proclaimed king by, I believe, Abner. Uh, one of Saul's generals, and he ruled outside of Judah. Now David was in Judah, and ish was sleeping, and two guys came in who had been part of his kind of mercenaries that had worked for ish and they killed him in his sleep. And they cut off his head, and they took it to David, thinking that they were going to get a reward. Now, you remember when Saul died. He threw himself on his own sword. The servant said he wouldn't kill Saul and Saul threw himself on his own sword and killed him. And then the servant went and told David the news, but the servant lied and took credit for it. And David killed the servant for touching the Lord's anointed he said, your words have done this. And even though the guy didn't do it, he just lied about it in order to take credit for it. David killed it. Okay. Now flash forward a bit of time. And Saul's other son, Jonathan's brother, ish was king of part of the nation. And then these two guys went in and killed him in his sleep, took off his head, and took it to David in order to curry favor with David. And David referenced back again what he did with the guy who claimed to kill Saul, and he killed those guys right there, had them killed, and cut off their hands, I believe their feet, and hung them up for everyone to see because they had gone against the king. So it didn't work out for either one of those guys. <laughs> it was a pretty rough time back then. So then David assumes kingship over all of Israel. And he was musing one day, and he called in a guy named Zeba. Ziba was the servant to Saul. And he said, are any of Saul's family still alive that I may take care of them?" Now, normally when a throne changed hands from a different family, they killed all the other relatives of the prior sovereign in order to make sure that they weren't threatened when David didn't want to do that. And Ziba told David about Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. He said he's crippled as a child couple chapters later, you hear the story of how he became crippled. His nurse was fleeing with him after they'd heard that Jonathan and Saul had fallen in battle and she dropped him as a kid and evidently broke his feet, crippled his feet somehow, and he was crippled for life. So he mentioned two times there. Now Zeba mentions that he's crippled. And then later on, they'll mention he's crippled. Four times scripture mentions that this guy's crippled. Now I'm reading this to Gracie and Mephibosheth was living in a place called Lodibar which was translated barrenness waste desolation shame he was basically an outcast and he was a cripple and back in those days they didn't have handicap accessibility if you were a cripple Up until, well, if you had any kind of mobility impairments anywhere in the world up until about 1991, life was a bit challenging for you. And he was brought before David. He said he bowed low to David. Now I want you to imagine how difficult it is for a man who is crippled to bow. And Mephibosheth had no idea what was going on. He was expecting to be... Treated poorly and, and possibly killed. That was standard operating procedure back then. And he referred to himself as a dog. He says, What do you, what do you want with me? I'm just a dog. And David did the unexpected. He told Zeba, He said, I'm giving Saul's land to Mephibosheth, and I want you and your servants. I think he had a bunch of servants and a bunch of kids. I want you to farm that land so that you can support Mephibosheth. And he's going to sit at my table and eat from my table. And for the rest of his life, that's what Mephibosheth did. You remember Jonathan and David were very close, and he honored his deep friendship with Jonathan. Mephibosheth had no idea. He was living in desolation, literally in a place called desolation. And the king sought him out. And I read this to Gracie in her hospital bed. She was having a hard day. And I looked at her and I said, now Gracie, you know more than most what the definition of crippled is. She's missing both legs. And you have been in this hospital for weeks and weeks, and this is not your first rodeo. In a place of barrenness. In despair, desolation. Her body is just broken. And I looked at my wife and I said, but the great news is your king has sought you out. He has sought you out and he has put you at his table. David honored the covenant he made with Jonathan by taking care of Jonathan's son. God made a covenant with Abraham of which we are party to now by faith. And he swore by himself because there was nothing greater that he could swear by. God swore by his own name. And he, and I said this to Gracie, and he sought you out. That is the great news. That is the gospel. Mephibosheth was not healed. He remained crippled. Four times scripture mentioned that he was crippled. And if scripture is going to repeat something that many times, we might want to pay attention to it. And why am I sharing this with you all of what I shared with Gracie? Gracie has clear evidence of her body's infirmity. And she and I both know what it's like to live in a place of despair. We both have been there. But we also are keenly aware and require reminding that our king sought us out. We had no hope. We had nothing. And the reality is all of us are cripples living in Lodibar. We're all there, every one of us. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we even realize it or not, that is the state, the hopeless estate, of mankind. And yet our king sought us out. What an amazing story. There's a greater David who sought us out in our despair and puts us at his table. These are things that sustain me and Gracie in our journey. And we require reminding of it. I have caregiver amnesia. I have gospel amnesia. And I need to be reminded every day. That's why I love that old hymn, sing them over and over again, wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, to remind myself. And then I say, I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. I I saw a quote the other day from Martin Lloyd Jones, the great Welsh minister, who I don't know if you know who he is, but it would be worth your time to do some research on him. He went to St. Bart's, I think it's called the medical school. He was a doctor by training. And that's the school where the fictional character of Sherlock Holmes went to, where they had so much forensic training. But but Martin Lloyd-Jones actually went to this place and was a brilliant medical doctor who came to Christ and then went into the ministry. He took that amazing mind of his and just, just left a huge body of work And in this quote, he said, I am more than ever convinced that the trouble with many Christian people is that they do not preach to themselves. We should spend time every day preaching to ourselves, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And so what I do on this program, I, I want you all to know this. I preach to myself. I am constantly needing reminding and reassuring of the gospel not because of anything Christ omitted, but because of my fallen state, to anchor myself into that, to think on this daily, so that when my wife is despairing, that I can remind her as well that her king sought her out, even in her crippled state. And he has placed her at his table. And I would say to you, my fellow caregivers, many of you feel Crippled, whether emotionally or even physically. You feel despairing. You feel broken. You feel lost. You feel shame. You feel all of those things. And you may indeed be just immersed in that. But the gospel is, is that your king, through nothing you've done, has sought you out. Your king has offered you a place at his table. And provides for you does it mean that your challenges in this life will be evaporated and instantly overcome and done and everything's good and you're just life is happy 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 all the time 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 doesn't mean that because Mephibosheth lived the rest of his life crippled but he lived the rest of his life sitting at the king's table in a place of honor there is a greater David who has done this for you and for me. That's why I can look at Gracie and say, you will walk and not grow weary. You will run and not grow faint. May not happen in this lifetime. Doesn't appear that it will. And he will sustain us and we will endure, as I said the last block. But his promises are true to you and to me. And we can endure. We can stay steadfast. We can cease striving. We can be at rest knowing that our King sought us out. What what a picture of the gospel. See that's the gospel. That is the gospel. That's the good news. We have to hear the bad news. And they said, scripture said four times, the bad news is this guy was crippled. He was in a bad place. But then the king sought him out. And that's the good news. That is the gospel. And that is hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back.
3: Weekday mornings at 8 Central, Pastor Jeff Shreve offers real truth for today. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. The world around us is rapidly changing but God and His truth will never change. I may be the host of the show, but I want God's Word and His truth to be the star of the show. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve each weekday morning at 8 Central for Real Truth For Today on American Family Radio. The Friends of Israel today keeps a finger on the pulse of what's happening in Israel.
2: Yesterday there was 66 new wounded soldiers, which in Israel, numbers, it's a lot of That's wounded soldiers. Relatively to the United States, it's like you had in one day 500 soldiers would have going wounded be all thousand, Okay. The hospital in Israel are full with the wounded soldiers. They're getting the rehabilitation
3: and start now. Hear the Friends of Israel today, every Saturday afternoon at 2 Central on AFR.
0: While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit but I've been through worse.
3: The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger.
0: And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty.
3: To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. So glad that you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I am joined by a man who needs no introduction. I am thrilled to have Colonel Oliver North joining me. He published my book. In fact, he's responsible for this book being out there. I sent this manuscript over to them, and he jumped on it because of his own journey as a caregiver. And I invited him to come on the program today and share a little bit of his heart. Things that he's learning, his story as a caregiver, and whatever other insights he has. So, Colonel North, it is such a treat to have you here. So, thank you for joining us. Peter, it's
1: great to be with you. It's great to have this book out in print because it's going to be helpful to so many people
0: just like me. I want to get into your story. You've been caring for your wife, Betsy, for some time, but I want to ask you, as I ask all my guests, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Thanks to your book. I'm doing a lot better than I was.
1: And I mean that. Uh, it's very rare that I, and I've I've read and written and published a lot of books, okay? And I sincerely mean this. When you can set a book down after you finished it and say, I'm a better person today than I was before I started it and mean it, that's what happened to me with this book. I read that manuscript. I, I picked up the phone and called my partner in this business, Gary Tarashita at Fidelis Publishing and said, we have got to publish this book. And it was the manuscript that sold me on it. And, it, and of course you got it cleaned up and here it is. And well, so I have, I have to clean up today.
0: my manuscript a lot, you know, <laughs> because I was not the best student in the world, Colonel North. I, The first manuscript I turned in had so many red marks on it. I thought it had been stabbed. You know, and so I've had to do a lot of work, but no, they were they were very gracious to help me with all this, and I'm I'm very moved that you found it meaningful to you. How did you two meet? How did you and Betsy meet?
1: My cousin worked for Betsy. Betsy was a graduate; um, she'd been to college in Virginia, then a graduate degree in in uh, Penn State in marketing. She was a, a retail sales manager for the Hecht Company, which at the time was a very big. Department store. It's all gone now, of course. But my cousin worked for her, and she kept telling me that that she was working for this absolutely gorgeous young woman who was who's super nice and and the right kind of person, and, and that I would really love to meet her. And so, I I kind of concluded that if the Marine Corps wanted me to have a wife, they'd have issued me one. And so I didn't bother to go by until my brother showed up, and my little brother was on his way to Vietnam. I was still a midshipman at the Naval Academy, and. And my little brother went straight through. He went right out of high school. I enlisted right out of high school in the Marine Corps Reserve. I goofed around for three years before I ever got to the Naval Academy. And so Jack was on his way to Vietnam. And he stayed with my cousin's family overnight on his way, basically, to say goodbye to folks before he left for the war. And so Jack calls me up at the Naval Academy. He says, Kathy says, there's this drop-dead gorgeous woman she works for. I'd like to go meet her tomorrow. Can you come pick me up? because I was an upperclassman, I had a car. I went and picked him up in Crofton, Maryland, took him over to the Heck Company store in Montgomery Mall. And we're going up the escalator to where Kathy worked for Betsy. And Jack gives me the elbow and says, if she's anything like that blonde at the top of the stairs with a mini skirt and those long legs, and that blonde hair, I will date her. Well, of course it was her, okay? <laughs> so that's how I met with my brother trying to pick her up. And if he hadn't left for the war the next day, I might I might have missed out. But 55 years ago, we got married. It'll be 55 years in, in uh, November 13th. Some one of our grandchildren asked me, there's a picture of Betsy and me in the cover of Life Magazine back in 1987. And, and I've told all the youngsters, we got 18 grandkids. I said, you get to the appropriate age, I'll answer any question you ask truthfully. And so he looks at the picture and he says, And all of our grandkids call Betsy Nan because that's what she called her grandmother. Okay, so they all call her Nan. He's looking at this picture, which we don't, you know, we're not advertising. It's up in a a corner back home. And he says Nan was a beautiful woman. I said, you're just a recent college graduate. If you ever use past tense to describe a woman's beauty again, she'll shoot you first and then write you out of the will. And so now he's trying to make make up for it. And he says, well, uh, uh, was it love at first sight? And I said, I I promised I'd tell you the truth. No, it was lust. Okay. But the good Lord turned it into love and gave us four beautiful children and now 18 grandkids. And he has. He also has given me a challenge I never expected. It's a physical challenge. It's a a mental, emotional, uh, spiritual, and financial challenge that I never expected. And that's becoming her caregiver. When did you all become believers? I was 35. She was 34. Uh, I worked for a man who we're going to see here because we're down in the low country of South Carolina. They live in uh, Charleston. We're, we're going to see them here in, in a, a day or two. As their dear, dear friends. He was my battalion commander. And it wasn't just his knowing the words. He was raised a Southern Baptist. He knows every verse and in and, and the right s- sequence. And I grew up Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholics didn't have Bibles in their churches, for crying out loud. And, and so I learned the Bible as a consequence of watching this man and his behavior. And so when he came to me and he gave me a copy of this book, and, and this is not the copy that I have in my hand that he gave me because the one he gave me is in pieces beside my bed at home. He said, read this on the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And we were getting ready to deploy for seven months out to the Mediterranean from Camp Lejeune. And so I followed orders. I started at Genesis, wondering who he was. I got to Leviticus and almost quit. And finally, I got to Matthew's Gospel. And there in Matthew's Gospel is the passage that that changed my life. And it's Matthew describing... what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's an, it's something I can understand. It's this passage about the centurion, a Roman soldier, an infantry officer. I'm an infantry officer. I understand soldiering. I understand what this member of the occupying army was doing in Capernaum, and I've now been to Capernaum dozens of times leading groups to the Holy Land. In fact, Betsy and I led six groups over 12 years to the Holy Land, and there, reading about it, And right as we're coming into the Mediterranean, Capernaum is a place that's very important to the Roman economy because they've got salt and they've got fish. And there's Jesus Christ preaching, and the Roman soldier has heard enough about him. He comes down from his barracks at the top of the mountain, at the top of the hill above the city. And he says to Jesus, I've got a sick servant at home. Would you heal him? And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, forgive me sure, let's go. And the Roman officer says, no, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house. I'm a man of authority. I can tell someone to come, and they come. I can tell someone to go, and they go. All you have to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed, just as John Grinnells had healed me, kneeling in the dirt over my broken body. And John Grinnells, his modeled behavior was what led me to say, these are the words of Jesus Christ This is the person I want to be a follower of. And at the same time that was happening to me out in the Mediterranean, his wife Norwood was doing that to the wives of those of us who were deployed. And she led Betsy to the Lord the same way, by her example and by learning the words in that book. So we were blessed right from the get-go. That was 1977. So I was just barely 35. And and for the last 40-some odd years, we've known Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that's a darn good thing, because there's no good reason for me to be alive. I've been almost dead so many times, it's it's hard to count them all. And yet, Jesus was saving me for a purpose, and now that purpose is, I'm that I'm that person who is her caregiver, first and for, foremost. And you've taught me a lot of how to do better at it.
0: Well, you're very gracious to, to say that. And I, I'm listening to that, because I know enough of your story to know how your faith must have been tremendously tested in very dark and lonely times. And then to go through all that you've gone through. And then now here at the sunset era of your life, where you'd like to be able just to sit back and relax. (laughs) It's being tested in ways that you'd never expected. What is a, what is a verse? What is a passage in scripture that particularly sustains you now as a caregiver and why? Well, Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together
1: for good for those who love God, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose. I think I got it right. And, and that certainly is relevant to where I am right now. And all things will work together for good, not necessarily by my definition. Okay. I know where I'm going and why I'm going there and where and why she's going there. Because our Lord and Savior is going to say, "Well, don't throw him into hell. I, he's one of mine. I want him me where, where, where I am for my greater honor and glory." Right? That wonderful passage. So,
0: well, it's so, like Alistair it Biggs is- said. With the uh, he had a great message about the thief on the cross that shows up into heaven, and they're asking, "Why are you here?" He said, "Well, the man on the middle cross said I could come." <laughs> you know, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, and so.
1: All things work together for good, and and the good is not my definition. I mean, what we've what we have given up, the spontaneity of what we look forward to. I mean, I I promised her I was going to retire at eighty, okay, <laughs> and almost made it. I, I retired a little bit before eighty because of this. One of the great blessings of my life is I've spent my entire life in the in the company of heroes. My dad was the first hero I ever knew, a hero from World War II. All my uncles were Marines, and they were all heroes and. The Korean War, World War II, or both. And so I did I did that for 25 years in the Marines. And then Fox News hired me. And Fox paid me a heck of a lot more to get shot at than the Marine Corps did. And thank God <laughs> because we saved, we saved a lot. And thank we thankfully we did because now we're we're caught in a situation where we need it. And we need the we need the help. So the spontaneity of what we would caught, caught on the, the bucket list of Betsy, if, if, if Betsy were here in the room right now, and I said, What are the first three things you want to do as soon as you get better? I said, Well, I want to lead another group to Israel. We did six of them over a 12 year period of 50 plus, over 100 sometimes. And it was a powerful experience. I learned something every time I went. And I've been to Israel over 30 times in my life. So she, I'd do another trip to Israel. I'd love to do another river cruise. The last river cruise we did was from Paris down to Normandy to celebrate the sacrifice on a, on a June morning in 1944. Mm. And we did a bunch of other rivers. And she said, we go down to my beach house in South Carolina. And of course, that's where we are now for the longest period in all the years. She, she designed and built this house. Mm. One, of, one of the things I tell all my male friends and all my male uh, 11 grandsons, marry up. I did. And you wanna know what marry up is? Check the last. The last verses of the of Proverbs 31, and you'll find out the kind of woman I married, and that's the kind of woman you want to marry.
0: We're going to take a quick break here. We're talking with Colonel Oliver North, and we're talking about caregiving. We're talking about trusting Christ in it. We're going to hear some more of his thoughts on that when we come back. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? She never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Pastor Robert Jeffress. Jesus.
2: You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You imagine a giant dam that is in danger of uh, collapsing, crumbling, and a, there's a village below filled with people who are in danger of being flooded. And a group of concerned townspeople go up, and they push up against that dam. Then they know ultimately their effort is futile. Ultimately, that dam is going to burst. And that's really what we Christians are trying to do. We're not going to save this culture. We're not going to prevent its ultimate collapse, but we're to push back against evil for as long as we can to give people an opportunity to hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be a preservative, pushing back against evil, but at the same time, we're to be sharing the light of Jesus Christ. And I believe we're to get involved and not get in our spiritual silos and wait for the end to come. A reminder from American Family Radio.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. We're talking with Colonel Oliver North, and I wanted to circle back to what you said the pace. That changes when you become a caregiver, there is friction at having to go at a pace that you're not in control of fair statement. Right word. word.
1: In fact, most of us want to have some degree of control over what's happening in our lives. In fact, one of the things that frustrates Betsy so much is she knows. I mean, this is a woman who is incredibly capable. I mean, remember, I was I was gone for most of our marriage. okay, up until this. She was at Camp Lejeune drinking the water down there for two and a half years. I was probably on the base with her and her and her family for less than four months total of those two and a half years, and that's mm. because we were always deployed somewhere. I mean, we went off for two six-month deployments to the Mediterranean. I spent two full years overseas in Vietnam in the in the aftermath of that, and so my life was one of being absent and in total control because I was the boss, right? I was either the company commander or the operations officer for the battalion or controlling what was going on in my life. And she was doing the rest of it. She did all the bills. She paid the mortgage. She did the, made sure that the light stayed on and the water kept running and the kids got to school and they had clothes, all of that stuff. Did the taxes every year. In fact, worked for h Block. This is a very bright woman. And as I said, married up, Proverbs 31. And so I look at those control things of hers and mine that no longer exist. She can't tell you why she needs to go to bed. She just has to go to bed. She can't tell you why she's got to get up in the middle of the night, but she has to. Okay. She can't control over what time she's going to eat something. She can't just go and stand up by herself and go get a cookie or or have a cup of coffee that she used to. She has no coffee at all anymore. Her tastes have changed completely. And so the lack of spontaneity on my part and the lack of spontaneity in hers creates enormous conflicts. So for me to take an entire hour out of a day, if I didn't have a really close friend and a doctor friend, who'd been my radio operator in Vietnam, by the way, just your average Marine, right? Comes back and and becomes a doctor. He's now retired. We were trying to find one of the granddaughters to ride down here to the beach with us from Virginia. And Jim and I were on the phone right after, because they've all got to go into... This camp, where they're teaching that, or they're doing this sport. Well, we ran out of caregivers. And so Jim said, I'll ride down with you. He can do that. And he did, thank God. And so what we've got is Jim out there running plane guard. My exhaustion factor was I don't get to work out anytime I want anymore. If I can get a 10 minute workout in on the uh, elliptical that the kids and Betsy bought for me years ago, so I don't have to run anymore, just get on the elliptical. I'm blessed, but I don't get to do that three times a week. And it's because every time I start something, something else happens that I got to pay attention to. And sometimes it's a doctor's appointment. Sometimes it's a nurse calling. Sometimes it's one of the kids calling with better advice than I was getting from somebody else. And all of it needs to be done. And it's just, I mean, this book, by the way, <laughs> this Minute for Caregiver, no, seriously, I forgive my, my shameless promotion of this book. This book saved me, okay? I was desperate. We had not yet started hospice. Hospice has been an enormous help in our neighborhood. It's not the same way everywhere. I understand that. But in in our case, it has been a tremendous help. And I would never have started it but for what I read in this book about the
0: need, a
1: caregiver's need for help giving care. That's what this is.
0: But see, all this for me—I learned this all at the uh, at the school of hard failure, and uh, <laughs> uh, I've had ample time to make pretty much every kind of mistake you can make. I think for me, Colonel North, is that I chafed against what I thought needed to happen, and there was an epiphany that I came to: that can I be settled in my heart? Can I be at peace, no matter what's going on with Gracie? She lives with relentless pain every day. It's it's brutal for her. Must I be miserable? Does that help her if I'm miserable while she's feeling all this pain and misery? No, it doesn't. Well, if it doesn't, then what do I do about it? And what, more importantly, what does the Scripture say about it? I can be content in all these things? Scripture says I can. I can be at peace with the pace. The pace of caregiving will dictate how we're going to live. Can we be at peace with it? Or are we going to chafe against it? A lot of people quote Jeremiah 29.11, hmm. which is, I know the plans I have for you. And that's, I love that passage. However, they don't read a couple of verses up above it because they were praying. Please get us out of here. Please take us back home. We're done with this. We don't want this. Take us out, which is kind of the caregiver's prayer. Get us out of this. Mm -hmm. And God says through Jeremiah, be still. I put you here. Go ahead and get married, build houses, plant vineyards, have children, have grandchildren. I'll move you when I'm ready because I know the plans I have for you. That's the context of that verse. For me as a caregiver, that was an incredible moment to understand that, that God says, this is where you are. This is where I've put you. I have not abandoned you. Be still and trust me. And Mm -hmm. how do I know that I can trust him? It's because of the cross. That's solid ground for me to say, okay, he saw to it that I was born. He saw to it that I believed, and he will see me all the way through to glory and Gracie and Betsy and Oliver and all the rest of us that put our trust in Him. This is what anchors me in those moments when I hang my head in weariness and frustration and grief and sorrow, and I look and I say, Lord, please. But then I go back to that. My God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ. This is why I wrote this book that you were so gracious to publish, because I wanted my fellow caregivers to see this and understand it in a way that made sense to them as a caregiver. And I can't, Thank you enough for affirming that, 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 it, that I hit the mark from one, just one caregiving husband to another. What are mm. your thoughts about marriage as, as a husband in this situation? Because a lot of men now are starting to become more are caregivers more than they used to be. Uh, in sickness and in health, good times
1: and bad, never expected that I'd be in that situation. In fact, almost everybody who's, who's known us any length of time automatically assumed she would bury me. So I've got my my spot at Arlington already picked out, right? In the case of a military person, they put him down eight feet so that he can put her down when she comes. And that that's most often the way that they, they inter the wife on top of the husband. So Betsy's always said, Well, I'm gonna be in charge. And so <laughs> I got you, honey. The the fact is, I believe I believe the vows that we took at marriage, I believe that. Marriage is the best thing that ever happened to us. The byproducts of those, that marriage are those four kids, their mates, and now 18 grandkids. So my mission in life is not just to prove to them what a good caregiver is, but to show them. But I want those, those 18 grandkids to say, I mean, not all the battles, not all the medals, not all the stuff, but on the back of that gravestone at Arlington, I want them to put down. He showed us how to fight the good fight, finish the race and keep the faith. Now, for Maureen, the words semper fidelis aren't just a slogan. Always faithful is a way of life. So I have no choice. I have to be a good caregiver, the best possible caregiver. That's why your book helped. But there's a passage in, in, in Mark's gospel, ninth chapter. Jesus is walking along through town, and the father comes up and says, my son has been afflicted with the demons. Ever since he was a child, and he's thrown himself in the water, tried to kill himself, tried to burn himself. Your your friends over here tried to tried to save him and couldn't. Why couldn't he drive him out? And Jesus said, "You have to believe." And he says, "I do believe, but help me in my unbelief."
0: Right. That's my favorite passage. So
1: okay, and and the, you know what? Caregivers know all about that, even if they don't know that verse. My prayer has been, Lord, you work miracles. You can solve Betsy's problem, boom, like that. You can you can do it with any of us. And Jesus goes up and asks a bunch of questions he knows the answers to. Why is he doing that? Everybody around, pay attention because I'm gonna do something really important here. Jesus already knows the answers to all the questions he asks. But he wants those, the 12, and the, the crowd that's gathered around him to hear this because it's important. Jesus has been teaching me how to be a better follower of him just put my faith in him, it's going to be all right. It may not work out quite the way I think it should, or Peter thinks it should, but it's going to work out okay. Romans 8.28 is true. Romans 10.9 is true. You have to believe. Mark's gospel is true. And so my encouragement is that you are encouraging thousands and thousands of others, like me, caught in What's the right answer? Why, is it, why isn't there a miracle? And so my prayer has been, Lord, work a miracle. But if that's not to be, please take her gently. And unlike most people who've ever been afflicted with this, she is not in pain. After she fell and broke her hip, the only thing she had for pain was Tylenol. The government of the United States gave me, gave me a brand new knee. I took every pain med they had. It didn't bother me a bit. She didn't need it. It's because the good Lord says, you're going to, this isn't going to bother you. It's going to, your, your hip's going to be all right. And that, that happened right here in this building on, on New Year's Eve. After she'd already been diagnosed with this, this degenerative cortical basal stuff, we were down here for, for New Year's. There's this crash. All the little kids had gone to bed. The grown ups were still outside watching the, the ball drop up in New York with Griff Jenkins, my cameraman for all those earlier trips now is on the correct side of the camera. He's he's got his own show, and he was down here to film. The Chinese balloon was shot down right off my wife's walkway
0: out to the beach. Well, it started out here in Montana, and <laughs> and I, somebody said, "Well, you can't shoot that down. You need a fifty caliber." And I said, we're in Montana. That's not going to be a problem.
1: <laughs> well, I wish you had it because it, it literally the camera with the, the long lens that captured it was a Fox camera and it was right there on her, the walkway out to the beach, right, right from her house here. So yeah, but look at bottom line, what you've done is inspire me. I think it's going to be inspiring to everybody who reads it. If, if you're going through any of the things that Peter and I have just talked about and you don't know some answers, you got to read this book. And, and I, I'm grateful personally. And I can assure you, my kids are grateful too. He says, "Dad, you got a better attitude now." He says, "Yeah, I got inspired
0: right here in this book." Thank you. Well, Colonel North, that's incredibly meaningful to hear from one caregiving husband to another. We have a Savior that understands caring for a wounded bride, and that gives me great comfort and great, great hope. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much for the time. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll see you next time.
2: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.